Hey, welcome back to the pod crashed. Today we're telling the story of American Airlines Flight 96 and Turkish Airlines Flight 981. Thanks for listening. Ugh, what a mess. Bad. Um, hi, Mariah. Hi, Casey. It's so good to talk to you. Yes. It's going to be a good one today. I feel it. Yeah, uh, I'm, I appreciate um, our dear listeners to be aware of all the extra time you give me. <laughs> and um, I'm glad, like after going in this direction, I'm, I'm glad that I had time to do all of it. So thank you. Oh, of course. Anytime. <laughs> I you know me, wouldn't... I'm always down to cancel plans. <laughs> oh, canceling plans is the best. <laughs> Literally anytime. It's, it's so... And I know that with you, it's not going to be like a thing, you know, where it, like you have to worry... Like, you genuinely understand if someone needs to cancel or wants to cancel. Oh, yeah. So it's like, as terrible it is to cancel on with with you, obviously, you are the best person to cancel with. <laughs> I'm not bothered. I think that's... I take In the that best as way. The, I take that as, like, the sincere compliment that it is. It, it's the deepest compliment I could ever give. Oh, I know. I We could probably tear off and have a whole conversation. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. Um, we're going back to the seventies today. Ooh, yes. Yeah. So we're starting on June twelfth, nineteen seventy-two. Uh, I'm definitely smoking on planes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Steve, our dear friend, friend of the show, friend of the show, Stevie Jambardini. Uh, I should let him know. I should ask if it's okay to use this name, but he (laughs) said he's going to make a little song for us for yes about smoking, about smoking on planes oh it's gonna go right here right here this is so imagine our dear oh, listeners can imagine what might be here what the song might be i couldn't even guess what the song would be it's gonna be I a real treat even, it's gonna be so good yeah um so everybody's smoking june 12th 1972 uh we're talking about american airlines flight 96 um the flight is going from la to LaGuardia via detroit and sunny glamorous buffalo new york there it is we love to hear it of those four cities, easily the most important, yeah. easily the most um, illustrious Without city of all. Doubt. So beautiful Buffalo. I've done that flight. I've done the Detroit to LAX flight. Oh. Yeah. When Ty was living out there? Uh, no, when I I did uh, like an internship in Gabon, Africa, oh. and I had to fly... From Buffalo to New York, from New York to Detroit, to Detroit, LAX. Just because of the flight that they put me on. But then from LAX to somewhere else. That's like LAX. Yeah, and then LAX, we had like a training, and then we had to come back, and we flew out of, I think we flew out of Pennsylvania is what I think it was. Oh, wow. Um, But that was like one of the worst flights of my life, and I will forever hate Delta because of that flight. <laughs> Oh. I want to hear about it so yeah. badly. We have to do an episode that's just like our own stories at yeah. the airport. Yes. Our horror stories and, and happy stories. There's some happy stories. stories. Yeah. 
Yeah, we do. Um, so the aircraft today is one we've talked about, but one we haven't actually um, used, or we haven't we haven't told a story about this aircraft before, but we do talk about it. It's the DC-10. Mm. So the DC-10 is another um, three-engine aircraft, right? So one on each wing and then one on the tail. Um, they're I I really love DC tens. I just I, I don't know. I just think they're cool. They're really powerful. They were the competition for the TriStar, your mm. favorite air, airplane. Yeah, as I'm sure you remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's the engine on the back. I'm telling you, it's just it looks good. Yeah, it does. Right, it just looks great. It's a good looking plane. Yeah, DC tens are like famously really powerful. They're just I don't know. They're really cool. Um, they're also pretty big. Uh, they seat up to 380 people so it's a big plane wow this is actually the fifth dc-10 ever made the dc-10 is brand new hot off the presses fresh gorgeous plane again we're in the 70s so we're this was the answer to the tristar it was probably in production at the same time but Mm -hmm. um just for our listeners edification um you'll remember that planes needed more than two engines to cross the atlantic rather than having to go up and over um like if you wanted to fly from new york to paris say it used to be you'd have to go up through canada over iceland over greenland over ireland all over all of that so that you're never that far from land um so in order to fly directly over the ocean which is a lot faster you would have to have something like a 747 something with four engines mm. and then somebody had the great idea three is more than two and less than four so if we make a plane with three engines it's more fuel efficient and it can fly directly over the atlantic so this was around the time that that uh, was that idea was taking shape when people were trying to do that and people were making those um, three engine planes. So this is again, yeah, one of the brand new DC tens. Yeah. We got captain Bryce. Perfect. First officer, Peter and flight engineer Clayton. So all of these men um, have a ton of experience. The captain, Bryce, has, I think, 24,000 flight hours or something. No Carlos, but still a lot of hours. (laughs) And um, like all of them have a lot of experience, but none of them have even 75 hours in the DC-10 because it's a brand new plane, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So our story begins with uh, the leg from Detroit to Buffalo, which for reference is, I mean, that's 30 minutes in the air, maybe. That's like a fast flight. It doesn't take any time. I mean, driving is only four hours if you go through Canada. Exactly. And that's, if it was like, as the crow flies, it would be be maybe maybe two hours by car, but you've got all those lakes in the way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Most of the passengers had actually gotten off in Detroit. So most of them had gone from LAX to Detroit and had gotten off. Um, So there's only 56 passengers on the plane right now. So this is comfy. There are like six seats for every passenger right now. This is a luxurious flight. Big, beautiful plane. You've got 11 flight attendants. So you get lots of attention. Everybody's smoking. You're getting your snacks, your drinks, whatever. So it's a good day. Gorgeous. Yeah. A good day. You would think. Oh, no. <laughs> so um, as the um, 
if a plane is preparing to take off, so something we've talked about is maybe, you know, 80, 90% of the time, um, the first officer is the person who takes off and lands the plane because they need the experience. Um, so our boy Page, oh yeah, Peter Page. I, don't, I just think that's <laughs> funny. His nickname is Page. So Great. Peter Page <laughs> is uh, flying the plane. They take off from Detroit. And as they're ascending, right, so um, they're passing through, you know, 2,000 feet, 4,000 feet, and we talk about how that pressurization point is around 10,000 feet, right? So that's when the plane will pressurize and the air will not be breathable and everything that goes along with pressure, pe- everything that goes along with pressurization <laughs> starts to happen. So they take off at 7.20. At 7.25, so it's a few minutes in, they're passing through 11,000 feet. And as they continue to ascend, there's a bang. Oh, no. Uh, there's a huge bang. And instantly the plane starts to bank to the left, meaning it kind of like rolls Ooh. to the left. Okay. The, the captain screams, we hit something. Like, that was what he thought. He believed in that moment that they had had some kind of inner uh, cl- collision. Instantly, the right rudder pedal sinks all the way down, make- meaning that the rudder turns all the way to the right, causing the plane to continue to bank more and more to the left. Ooh. So as that's happening, the captain takes control of the flight. They are trying to figure out, A, what's wrong, because they have no idea, and B, they're trying to level the aircraft because if it continues to bank to the left it's it'll fall out of the sky right so as they're trying to study the aircraft level it out they also realize that the uh, engines have all gone into idle so the plane is a slowing down b banking hard to the left so they are within seconds here of the plane just toppling out of the sky oh my god they're problem solving, trying to figure out what's happening. The first officer asks if they have did they if they have hydraulics or did they lose their hydraulics. The captain points out it got rudder all the way to the right. So the captain tries to re-engage the engines, right? Tries they've they've all gone into idle. Only the engines on the wings uh will re-engage. The engine on the tail, the big beautiful engine on the tail that makes this plane so cool doesn't do shit it. it just continues to idle right Ugh, so you had one job you literally had one job exactly so as they're trying to study it out they use asymmetrical thrust meaning they like put the power on the left engine all the way to max and uh, keep the power on the other engine uh, more uh, midpoint I don't know how to use I don't know how the words are um, and so by increasing the power on the left it starts to lift that wing right there's more power so there's more lift over that wing so it starts to tilt up and they're able to start to level the plane out as they're trying to level the plane uh, a flight attendant bursts into the co- cockpit and said that there is a hole in the floor of the fuselage oh my God. There's a hole ripped out in the floor of the cabin. So they uh, they can't deal with that right now, obviously. <laughs> um, but it does mean that the cabin is, everything is depressurized, right? Mm. So they're only a few minutes away from Detroit, right? They're, they just left. So they call ATC and they're turning around. But they're not able to turn because they don't have rudder control. They don't have most of their hydraulics. So in order to turn back, they have to just use that asymmetrical thrust. They just have to push 
the power on the left side all the way to max and keep the right engine steady. Now, this plane is designed to fly with three engines. It can fly with two, but with the problems it's having, um, in order to take a wide turn, it takes a long time. And the plane is responding very slowly. It's, it's sluggish, like I don't know, everyone who's had a car that had problems, you can feel like, oh, there's not all the power. Yeah, something going on. So it's it's going sluggish. It's really, really hard to maintain speed, which, as we've talked about, is mandatory to keep the plane in the air. So they're very, very slowly making this wide left turn, fighting against a rudder that's turned all the way to the right. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't know which way they turn, but they turn. (laughs) And... So as they start their slow, wide turn back, they are, again, close to the airport. Mm. So they try to start to decrease their speed so they can, you know, get closer to the runway. But as they try to decrease the speed, it's it's descending twice as fast as they mean to so as soon as they let the nose dip it starts to dip way too fast and they're dropping at uh, 1400 feet a minute which is a lot faster than they want it to so they they can't so they have to speed up the plane again to keep their plane from descending and again falling out of the sky but by increasing the speed they're keeping the plane in the air Again, even as they're trying to land it. So there's all these opposing forces. And that's why landing is such like a, a complex feat, right? Because you have to go fast enough that your plane doesn't fall out of the sky. You need to go slow enough that you have time to land once you make contact with the runway. So they're, they're as in many of the other stories we've talked about, they're just going to land too fast, yeah. right? So. As they're coming in closer to the approach, they put the gear down and like the gear creates some resistance, helps the plane to slow down a little bit. And they want to flare the nose. So if you've been on a plane, if you've seen a plane land, you know that right before touchdown, the nose of the plane picks up just a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? So the rear uh, landing gear touches down first and then the landing gear in the front. So in order to do that, again, they don't have control over the... Oh, I didn't say that, but they don't have control over their elevators either. So their elevators are the things that control the plane's ability to go up or down, like nose first, like the nose can go up or down. They have really limited control of that. So in order to flare the nose of the plane, in order to lift the nose of the plane for landing, they have to, again, speed up. They have to, they need more lift. And they're doing all of this with kind of one engine one and a half engines because one has to be at max power and the other one has to be at reduced power in order to keep the plane from veering off uh to the left and banking to the left and falling out of the sky so as they're preparing to land they need to do this and they know that the second they touch down the second they hit the uh runway the plane is going to tear off to the right because of that right rudder being um, pulled Mm. Um, and so they basically just say that drop my phone they basically just say that out loud because again it's limited what anybody can do and they they're trying to communicate with one another while they're problem solving while they're trying to fly this like badly disabled plane as they flare the nose up the rear gear touches down the nose touches down, the plane immediately again tears off to the right. So as it tears to the right, now they switch the asymmetrical thrust, right? So instead of having the left 
uh, plane, the left engine rather, um, at max. They put the right engine at max and put the left side on um, revert. They put the reverse thrusters on the left engine to try to keep the plane in the middle of the runway. Um, As they're like tearing down the runway because they're going way too fast, the plane does start to tilt. They, They can't keep it straight. So the plane starts to roll to the right. Just to roll toward the grass on the right side. The right landing gear rolls to the right. And they're just, again, tearing down the runway. And they come to a stop. Oh, my God. He fucking landed it. Like, Yeah, fucking landed it. With, like, 400 feet left, the plane rolls to a stop. All 67 people on board the plane live. yes. We love to see it. Yes. You love to see it. It's the best, right? That's insane. That is insane. All of that happening at once. And they did it. Exactly. They did it. They nailed it. They, everybody on board lives. There are no injuries. Um, As they're getting off the plane and the investigators are starting to arrive, uh, the cockpit door, right? Not the cockpit door. The cargo (laughs) door has bucked off into Canada. The cockpit. What? The the cargo door had ripped out of the plane and landed in Windsor, Canada. Oh, Windsor. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Okay. Was anyone? I I hope no one was hurt. Nobody was hurt. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. No one was hurt by the cargo door. So, uh, investigators show up. Everybody's trying to figure out what happened. So, essentially, um, the cargo door. On most planes, the cargo door opens inside. So uh, let's go back okay. in time. Do you remember the um, British Airways flight where the pilot got ripped out yes. of the window? I will never forget that for as long as I live. <laughs> I'm glad you remember. I know it's kind of it was a long time ago, and it's not a very interesting story. So <laughs> at all, no. Um, so you remember how that was because instead of having plug type. Uh, windshield instead of having a plug type windshield that um, is attached from the inside so the cabin pressure keeps the window in place instead of that it had been attached from the outside Mm. so those bolts and screws or whatever are fighting the pressurization to keep the windshield in place so the cargo door on a uh, most planes you push it in and to like the left usually like you push it into the plane and then push it out of the way right um and that way when you pull it back into place to close it again you're plugging it in so the pressurization is part of what's helping to keep the door in place right right? the the pressurization sorry for for reference the pressurization force is from the inside Mm. out right i don't know if i've ever actually (laughs) clarified that the 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 cabin pressure the pressurized cabin is a higher pressure than outside of the cabin so all of that force that would pop like a balloon that you blow up too much right so it's that's a normal cargo door so the dc-10 um, had an idea and they were like oh it's so annoying that uh, you push the door in which means that all of that space right the space that the door needs to open is unusable right you can't put cargo there because uh, otherwise it'll block the door right, right? 
which I have a whole story about. Sometimes that just happens when you like <laughs> it or not. But, um, so what they said is like, oh, we'll make like a super convenient cargo door that opens out, right? Like the mm-hmm. door to your house where it just like opens out. And um, now, again, the problem is, is that that means the pressurization is fighting the door. It's trying to push the door out of the plane, right? So what they did was they had like a structure of like interlocking pins that lock the door in place, right? Very snug. Um, The problem is, turns out, you can shut the door to the cargo hold without the pins being in place. Yeah, so the cargo or the, the ramp guy, right, the baggage handler can force, it's not intentional, but again, everything is like so um like mm-hmm. tight i guess for lack of a better word that you can force the door shut even when the pins are not locked Oof. in place and the, the you know like in your car you have like the door ajar yeah, light yeah. or whatever so the pilots have a little light in the cockpit that says if the yes. cargo door is open right but it it's uh the sensor on that light is dependent on that external lock, that external latch, rather. So it doesn't illuminate if the pins aren't together, if the pins aren't in place. It illuminates if the out the outer latch isn't in place, yeah. right? So again, you can have functionally, I mean, you've seen the door to a plane, right? right? The door that you walk through to get on. You've seen the flight attendant open and close it, or you've seen the... Um, passenger service agent right what i used to do you've seen them uh open and close it's like a very tight exact fit and you cannot like take off everybody will know if it's not exactly perfectly closed right so the cargo door wasn't like that so what happened was um in detroit the baggage handler had shut the door and did not know that it was not latched and locked in place and the pilots didn't know so as they passed through that like 10 11 um feet line right where everything pressurizes the door had gotten sucked or pushed i guess out of the plane which had caused a catastrophic depressurization which had ripped out part of the floor of the fuselage and taken that with it right uh nobody was injured thank god uh nobody the cargo door didn't land on anybody so uh dc town's a new plane it's the 70s we don't want to make trouble for anybody so um mcdonald douglas who makes the dc 10 or who used to make the dc 10 talked to the faa and was like, hey, okay, so what do we got to do, right? We, we, don't, we don't want right. this to happen. No We're sorry. Died. Like, what do we do? <laughs> Nobody, right, no one died. The NTSB filed their investigation and said, like, okay, well, what you got to do is design the door so that it can't be closed unless it's truly locked, right? So the cargo guy just, again, the minimum wage I was going to say, being, like, does he even know the-, the difference between a fucking DC-10 right. and a 747? Like. Oh, they know. Okay. Those guys know. <laughs> I will say. I will say. You know who knows? Yeah, planes, that's true. Like, that's true. Is, like, but I mean, like the interlockings uh, of it. Like, you know what I mean? Well, that it's a right. brand new plane. It might be the first time they've ever seen it. Like this baggage handler, it could easily have been the first time he right. ever saw one. 
right? It's a brand new plane. Um, and again, the ramp guys, like, God bless them, they work in the worst yeah. conditions in the airport, right? They work the longest hours. They work, like, nobody cares. Like, you know, I, I think I have immense respect for pilots and yeah. cabin crews, of course. But they do have rules on how long yeah. they're allowed to work, okay? That does not exist for baggage mm. handlers. They can get stuck for an immense amount of time. They work in all weather conditions. And they get treated yeah. very badly. So now there's this new kind of door, right? And they don't have any way of knowing that you like how it how it all fits together, right? So the NTSB says, okay, our recommendations are you redesign cargo door and you what was the other one? Let's look at my notes. I'm sort of pacing around the house. Oh yeah. Okay. So the NTSB made the recommendations that you um, redesign the cargo door so that it can't be shut unless it's actually locked. And they said, add an air vent to the cargo hold, because that way, if there is a depressurization, if there is an explosive decompression, right, then it won't suck the fuselage out with it, right? It'll be contained to that area because there's a vent in that area. So does that make sense? Perfect, because I did not come up with like a helpful <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> but okay, so um, the NTSB says like this is what we recommend, and the FAA said like, "Hey guys, are you going to do that?" And McDonnell Douglas was like, "Yes, of course we will, Mr. FAA." But it's very embarrassing if you force us to do it. If you make us do it, it makes us look bad. So we'll just do it. And that way you don't have to force us to. And the FAA said, okie dokie, guys, make sure you do it. And they're like, we oh promise. God. I hate them. You know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So then less than two years later, March 3rd, 1974, another DC-10 is flying from Istanbul to LHR. It's Turkish Airlines flight. 981. So Turkish Airlines Flight 981 is flying from Istanbul to uh, London Heathrow through Orly, Paris. So Orly is like the um, the smaller airport outside of Paris. It's really far away. If you see cheap flights to Orly, like totally go if that's the only way you can go. But it is not yeah. close to Paris. It's just arrived in Orly. It's letting out some of its passengers. And apparently that last leg is usually pretty light. Like the the flight that goes from Orly to London is usually pretty empty. Apparently most people get off in Orly. That's where they were headed, whatever. But today there's a strike uh, in British Airways. And so all the British Airways flights are are, are canceled. Uh, so this plane is packed, oh, no. packed, packed, packed. Yeah, there are 346 oh people God. on board, which is right, very close to fall, if not completely full, because a bunch of passengers got trapped in Paris as a result of the strike. Right. So they all loaded up onto this flight, and. Uh, it's really quick, orally to Paris, to London. It's probably two hours, would be my guess. Maybe an hour. I'm not sure. So as the plane takes off, everything's fine. Normal, normal day. 
the plane is ascending as it would normally. And then around 11,000 feet, the cargo door oh fucks off. And but this time, it brings two rows oh, of seats with Holy it. shit. Immediately again, the plane starts to bank to the left. The cargo door is on the left side, so the plane starts to bank to the left. Again, the pilots have no idea what's happening or why it's happening. They think it might be an explosion, like a bomb. They try to steady the plane, but the damage in this case was much more extreme. They have no hydraulics. They have no control over the plane. They have, uh, they do have their engines, so they try again to use asymmetrical thrust to get the plane to tip up to the left or mm-hmm. on the left side. Um, but they're not able to maintain speed, so the plane starts to go nose down. As the plane, as the nose of the plane dips down, it starts to pick up speed. And because it's picking up speed, they're able to control it a little bit better. And as they're going toward the ground, they lift the nose of the plane. And they actually do successfully lift the nose of the plane. But it's too late. And the the plane crashes into the forest outside of Paris. And every single person on board dies. It is, at the time, the deadliest aviation accident in history. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. And, like, because you didn't want to fix a door? Right. Right. So, just like with the uh, MAX disasters, um, the first time it happens... The investigators, the FAA, everybody is kind of willing to like, okay, yeah. like you promised right. you're going to fix it. But the second time, like yeah, no. your ass is ours. Like they went hard Good. after them. They uh, investigated like, hey, did you do the thing you were supposed to do? No. What they did instead was they added a peephole so that the ramp guy could look in and see if it was latched or not. And they put a sign on the outside of the door that said, like, hey, buddy, check and see if it's latched. Uh, like, you got it? But this is a Turkish Airlines flight, Turkish Airlines plane, which means that the sign is in English mm-hmm. and Turkish, not French, mm. not French. And no one knew what the people was for. Nobody trained anybody on what so the people forward. is about. So it's just a, like there's just a little window on the cargo Perfect. door. It's like aesthetics. Oh, here's a nice little window. Right, exactly. Like for check for stowaways or whatever. So now, A, the FAA obviously forced them to make those changes. But in the investigation, they're obviously going through everything, right? Like all your records, all your emails, all your communications. And they find a letter from the people who actually physically manufactured the fuselage where they said like hey guys this is a dumb design for a cargo door you could it could result in like loss of the aircraft which is how they put it right and mcdonald douglas was just like yeah it's fine no problem 
So McDonnell Douglas was obviously fined. They had to pay $18 million to the families of the people who died, which I'm just going to say, I know $18 million is a lot of money now. I know it was a lot of money in the 70s. Uh, divided yeah, over right. the families. Yeah, the families of 356 people. Uh, but And again, it doesn't even matter because like, no. you don't want money. You want the person you How love much was it? to not 18 be million? dead. $18 million. That's $50,000 god yeah fifty thousand yeah for your dead loved one for a a problem that could have been fixed And again, here's the thing. I'm just going to say this with the max, the problem they were trying to solve was like a real problem. Yeah. Right. So if the plane stalls, it is actually a problem if the uh, like nose of the plane dips up or lifts up too much on takeoff. That's an actual problem that causes danger. Right. You have to address that problem if you're going to build this plane that maybe shouldn't be built in the first place. But the cargo door opening in such a way that you can fit a little right. more cargo in is not a real problem. That's no. not a real problem. The, uh, so with the cargo door, sometimes like this has this happened at Buffalo one time where somebody's bag like cut loose and fell in front of the door, like fell in oh, front no. of the cargo door. And again, so it, it, it has opened right. in because I don't think anybody does this with their cargo doors anymore. This DC 10 business. I don't think anyone yeah. does that, but the <laughs> bag like rolled in front of the door and it was like two hours <laughs> of like ripping this plane no. apart, trying to get that bag out of the way. And all of the passengers were obviously like very pissed off. And I just, here's the thing again, y'all, I get it. I get being mad. I know your loved one is out there like waiting for, to pick you up like all of this like i get it but kind of two things one is that no one in aviation will tell you it's a good idea to check a bag ever never check a bag unless you don't need anything in that bag for at least a couple weeks don't check it even though again like god bless our ramp crews like you are the the backbone of this industry okay you are glorious gods (laughs) and goddesses of aviation okay but like stuff happens right like it can go wrong (laughs) your bag can get the wrong tag on it all this kind of stuff can happen like don't have something in your bag don't put your car keys in your bag okay don't put your medicine in your checked luggage like never ever ever do that but god bless her this lady they ended up having to like basically stab her oh my god to to move it it's not funny i'm so sorry lady they had to like literally smash it to pieces <laughs> like through <laughs> they had to like inch because they could only open the door like two inches and they had to take like a broomstick or something and literally just like hack it to death until they could until they could like bust through it to open the door and like oh my god the other flights because that plane was supposed to like go somewhere after that right so it was like everything um, was delayed there's all these people waiting for their bags we told people like we'll deliver it to you but obviously they're like mad because your bag's like right there right. to them right like I here's my bag it's right in there but that poor lady I just remember <laughs> like 
that ripped off like just shredded bag like coming off oh. the plane <laughs> and just oh nothing me. was in there was no, she, she did you like see her right. reaction I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't I was very grateful that I yeah. didn't have to no, no, no. do that right a lot of weird bag stuff oh. happens have you had a bag get lost yeah I I had a guitar get lost I've had a bag get lost but everything has been returned Sooner or later, okay. it, gets, it gets it gets back to me. Yeah, Good. I mean, and that's international Good. travel yeah, I don't... too. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yep. it's made it back. You know, it's been fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> the the um. There was like a couple. I remember I I almost never worked in the baggage mm-hmm. department, but there was a couple who had had the same bag as somebody else Mm. on the plane which like side thing everybody like don't get a black roller bag or navy blue like get right or paint it or put stickers on it or yeah do something to it to make sure that it's recognizably yours but also specifically in buffalo there was this orange and navy blue nautica roller bag if anybody is listening and you have this bag like (laughs) what's up but this bag i i don't know if it was on sale or something or if tj maxx in buffalo just had like got 75 of these or whatever we saw that same bag all the time and you think it's unique because it's neon orange and navy blue but it's not unique in buffalo everybody has that bag and there was a couple who had um were coming back from their honeymoon or something and they had grabbed the the they had grabbed the wrong bag and someone else had oh, grabbed no. their bag but their bag had like thousands of dollars oh, in gifts from the from their wedding and like all this cash her wedding dress all this different stuff and his bag had like oh, dirty clothes God. And we expect it because usually you get the wrong bag and you just call because that happens. You know, you have the wrong bag. And so you call and say like, oh, oh, I have the wrong bag. Where's my bag? You know, it's like that's the normal course of action. This guy, I guess, saw his chance and took it and just never called back. Yeah. You have a wedding dress in there, bro. Like, you know what this is about. I know. Right. And there was no way to like trace it on camera or anything? I guess not. I don't remember. I know that like... I know that the, um, I don't want to say her name because I don't know if she's okay with it, but I love the lady who worked in the baggage department at that time. And she's like, I mean, the hardest working woman ever. Um, But she didn't give them a hard time at all. She was just like, sounds like Delta is going to give you $5,000 or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. She just, she just took like completely took their word for everything she said. They said were everything they said was in there she was like yep Anything sure was else? and then like tried yeah yeah she like oh, tried God. to set it right for That's them to the best... don't check bags do y'all just there's no need unless again if you I mean, I check bags, obviously, like, coming back from India or something. Like, I've right, got all this right. stuff. Like, I've got, right. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like you have, if you're, you know, going to a touristy place or you want to bring things back, you, but, but you right. take the chance. I mean, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. That's what makes me mad about this one is that it's so stupid. Right. Like, it's, it's such yeah. a stupid one. Because, like, literally how much room are we talking like how many lo- like how many pieces of luggage are we talking? 
enough for yeah, everybody like to have an extra two luggage? Like, no. You don't, you're no, not, like, improving like bags, anybody's maybe? ability to travel or their life or anything by doing this. And then you killed people. Right. Because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand I, why they just ignored the letter, though. Like, because wasn't it... Couldn't they just build a different design for the door to still swing out? Like, I... Yeah. They... they. So, I think my understanding that anyone out there can correct if I'm wrong, my understanding is that they got that letter while the planes were in production. So, they designed the plane, sent it over to be produced... So the, the, the design portion mm-hmm. is done, but the people physically making the plane were like, this is dumb. This is not the right way to do this. Like, hey, you're going to kill people. And I think they were just like, roll the yes. dice. Like, we'll be fine. Yeah. And um, so they, I don't know. They just decided it was worth it. And I mean, I think that's like the whole plot of or like the subplot or whatever of um, Fight Club, right? That there's that, there is a certain, in a lot of different industries, there's this idea that you accept a certain Mm -hmm. amount of risk. And that's, I know like there have been terrible things. I know everybody listening to this has like lived through the max thing, right? But the truth is that attitude is pretty dead in aviation. The attitude that, like, you just accept, like, a certain number of planes are going to crash. Like, they genuinely are trying to make it so no planes Mm. crash ever. That's the goal is zero deaths. And that's not the case in a lot of industries. It's not the case with, like, car manufacturers and stuff like that. People who build boats. (laughs) Right, right. But the... Yeah, I don't know why they ignored it either. I, my guess is just they were past the design process and they were just like, oh, well. Can't be that like... bad. Right. Uh, and I think another, I don't know this, but I think that like all of us probably have something that we do or something we understand really well. So it seems really intuitive and obvious. Mm. Yeah. And part of me wonders if they just thought like, it's not that bad. Like, no, they'll get it. Like, the ramp guys will understand right. this. Right. But it, it shouldn't have been possible for it to... It shouldn't have been possible for it to close if it wasn't left. Right. I was going to say, like, yeah, like, maybe if they were, like, I don't know, trained on it or made sure that... Right. You know, this is how... I don't know. There, there definitely could have been an extra I, ounce of due diligence there, I think. Oh, definitely. I'll say this, though. I don't think that any... How would I say this? No manufacturer of aircraft anywhere should count on just letting the ramp crew know and treating that like it's problem solved. Because that job is extremely, again, difficult there's a ton Mm. of turnover because it is so difficult and because you do get treated badly most of the time there's an immense amount of turnover so you're always training there's always somebody new and you can only 
like the training is very like real time. Like you're getting trained there with what's happening. Like on my end of it, my old end of it, right. In the passenger service side, right. Something like you're bringing your dog on the plane. You could work at the airport for a year without ever having a passenger who's checking or like bringing a dog or checking a dog or something. Right. So you're not going to get trained on that adequately because you're not seeing it. And with like the ramp crew, it just seems like if you said like, oh, well, just tell all the ramp guys to make sure that it's latched, that message is not going to get around adequately. And that is not their fault at all. And it's not their, their, it's not their fault. It's not their responsibility to know, I mean, about like specific, because how many, how many planes would you say, how many different types of planes would you say that you all see, like, with the ramp guys? A lot. I mean, there it, that would, the answer is uh, often a lot of different planes. Some, it depends on the airline, it depends on the airport. Like, um, um, at Buffalo, we had, uh, like, four planes pretty consistently. But there would be, like, random this yeah. plane, random that plane. Like, there would be some planes that would appear unexpectedly or planes that you almost never saw there was a plane that i do not remember the name of it anybody out there can tell me we called it a pencil plane the arrangement was like one and two and it was just like this skinniest little plane that sat 49 people it only had one flight attendant every flight attendant i ever saw working those flights was a man and i was so interested in like why (laughs) like i just am so curious Mm. why that was but i think it was shuttle america no it was something it was something patriotic. Mm. The name of it was something national yeah. plane. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyone out there can tell me. But um, that, but yeah, there's going to be some variety. But if you work at a big airport, you might see a right. lot of different planes, right? Or if you work for more than one airline, like most ramp guys do, because right. it's a really hard job and it's really hard to make ends meet on it. And so it just seems like it just, just seems like that piece of the pl- like they should have maybe some i don't know if it is this way now but they have, should have some regulation to say like okay this piece of your plane i don't care how you build your plane but this piece has to be universal you know like because yeah. of all of those things that you just mentioned about the people who are loading the planes like that seems like it would solve itself in that you know I would be really interested to know if there are some yeah. things that are like that. Like, I wonder if there's anything in aviation where, like, this aspect has to be universal. I know there's, like, minimums yeah. on stuff, you know, like, this has to be at least this big or this small or this whatever. But I do wonder if there's any components that have to be universal. Right. But I, I really don't know. Well, and I mean, yeah. do you know of any other types of planes that have had this kind of issue? where the cargo door just rips off i i not off the top of my head i think that this is like very associated gotcha. with the dc-10 which again the dc-10 is a great plane yeah. like sexy so looking plane great little plane uh, mm. sexy little plane but um to my knowledge they're the only ones that had this problem but my guess is somebody else did too had something like this and again so we're in right. the 70s right. here so there's a lot of like the innovation that we benefit from started yeah 
decades ago, right? So people are trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. They're trying to figure out what the trade-off is. Somebody saw that empty space in the cargo hold and saw money. And so, because this isn't, this checking a bag was free back then, right? So it, it is in all likelihood that they wanted the extra space for cargo, right? So every flight you've ever been on, like international, I'll say every international flight you've ever been on, there's some cargo going with you, right? And what that means is there's like this cargo warehouse somewhere that like every day figures out, like when I worked for JAL, one of the jobs was to like guess basically how much cargo we could take the next day. Like you guess, like we have this many passengers and we guess that the passengers are going to have this many bags. And if all of that is right, then you guess how much cargo you can take. So then a bunch of guys who work in the like cargo warehouse or whatever, bring physically bring that cargo over to the plane. And then again, because weight and balance is this, you know, extremely pivotal part of airport operations. Um, so they figure out like, well, how much cargo can go on board actually? Like, do we have enough for all the cargo we said we could take? Do we have enough room for more? Do we need to leave some behind? So somebody just saw that empty space and thought that's cargo, that's money and tried to figure it out. But (sighs) we, we had a lot more story in the conversation this time, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I love you so much. I, I do want to say though, I do have one thing. Actually, I have two things. Um, mm-hmm. Please, yes. The first is in the beginning of this episode, you used the the phrase "the way the crow flies." As the crow, fi- oh, as have, the crow flies. I've heard that phrase thousands of times. Today was the first day that I realized what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make it sense talking about so planes, right? Sense. Like the-, the way the crow literally <laughs> flies. Yeah. Just straight there with nothing, like right. not caring about what's underneath it right. or like the hills or like lakes. Amazing. Yeah. One. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm so I'm, pleased, that is but... that is my new phrase. It's gonna be my new catchphrase. Yeah. <sighs> For anything. Well, like in freaking New York. In New yeah. York, yeah, as the crow flies, the like as the crow flies, I'm gonna buy extra exactly. yes. pizza. Yes. I don't know, <laughs> but but that um, in New York, I feel like I have more opportunity mm. to use that phrase just because it's like, well, it's a mile away, yep. but it'll yep. take an hour and a half to fly there, <laughs> to fly there, to drive there, <laughs> yep. yeah, or 20 minutes yeah. to walk there. So like that whole thing. Um, or like I think I've used it with our apartment because, dear listeners, I have the divine privilege of living across yeah. directly next to a highway. But on the other side of the highway, there's a like a huge beautiful lake, park. pond. I don't know with a lake and yeah, a zoo. Really nice it's beautiful. Maybe we shouldn't say zoo. Yes. <laughs> Give but, away where you live. <laughs> well, I mean, you'll find yeah. <laughs> you'll find us. You'll find us. You get it. But on the other other side of that, there's <laughs> a Home Depot, <laughs> and that's the important part. <laughs> And when I, I 
that Home Depot is closer to me mm-hmm. than a different Home Depot, but you have to like <laughs> trek through not only a highway and a park, but also like a yeah. homeless encampment. So there's just a lot. So as the crow flies, right. it's closer. But in reality, it's not. But it's in human in, reality. No, in reality, it's right. yes, the lived experience of walking <laughs> yeah. to the Home Depot is worse. <sighs> Love it. Two things, yeah. Did you say and my two next things? Thing, um, is our beloved friend Christine Oviedo. Shout out to her, obviously. But oh, she, yes. we had a long conversation about her experiences flying, and she is going to write in, and she has a pretty, pretty good story. So we'll look forward to that in a few, oh, yes. in a few weeks. But I just wanted to Excellent. to shout her out and. Uh, say we appreciate her listen oh yeah i'm so excited that will be thrilling i cannot wait speaking of a few weeks um i'll probably put this in the intro too but um as we've been (laughs) i don't know the right word but um we we are thinking that we're going to go down to every other week for the main episodes we both yeah. have full-time jobs. I really love doing this. And it's been so much fun to do this and to yeah. hear from all of you. And, like, nothing on earth makes us happier yeah. than when you email us or send us messages. Um, but we're going to go down to every other week for main episodes so that we can, I guess, just do a better job, basically. Um, there's a lot of stories that I'm really excited about that I mm-hmm. they just need more time. Like, I've been slowly working on a mh370 episode for a long time and i'm just like i'm not this is just gonna take forever at this rate it doesn't mean that you won't hear from us at all on the off weeks um we have talked about doing either the smaller flights or smaller i don't know how to explain it the less detailed flights that um there where there just isn't enough information (laughs) yeah exactly yeah some stories that we're gonna tell um, maybe some guests even yeah maybe. and stories so ex- yes and if you want to be a guest like yeah. if you have a story that you want to tell that um that either is just takes longer than 60 seconds or it could and should take longer than 60 seconds if you want to we yeah. will we will talk to you like that's yeah. what we're saying you can send it in if you want but we will call you and we will have yeah, a chat 100 we are not elitist podcasters we are the farthest thing oh from God. it. Call us. We'll talk it would to you be all like, day long. It'd be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be like king of filth or whatever. <laughs> like, what a silly thing to be elitist about. But um, we, or the other thing is obviously mm-hmm. we have a lot of our own stories um, from flying and traveling. So we're still going to be around in the off weeks but those are more going to be bonus or whatever we'll call them yeah. off week episodes i don't know what the right word is and then try to i can't i'm not gonna promise every yeah. week i'm just not gonna <laughs> but <laughs> not gonna promise every single week um yeah. but that would be the goal and um yeah and then we'll no, still be no, here no, no, no. we're not going anywhere yeah. like we're, we're still here and it'll be like a surprise every other week yeah if yeah it could be anything yeah, it could be anything. It could be nothing, but it could be the best thing you've heard all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, so as yes. always, we love you so much. And as always, yep. we you love should to hear send from us you. a message um, on 
We love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and at thepodcrushed at gmail.com. I will say that the very best thing in the entire world that you could do, we do want you to email us. That is probably the best thing. That gives us a lot of joy. But we, if you enjoy this podcast, like yeah. help us yeah. make it grow, like help us spread the word. So if there, we're trying to figure out a promotion, if you have an idea, if there's like a promotion you you want, like if there's something that you want to do in exchange for telling people about the yeah. podcast, like we'll do it. Like let us know. Um, we're thinking about doing maybe something with merch. We're thinking about um, doing some kind of drawing or let contest. We don't know. We're not good at this, but <laughs> yeah, let us know if you have any ideas or if yeah. there's something that you know you'd want. And even absent that, you can tell people yes, about do all the things that you normally would do. But if you could like and subscribe yeah. on whichever platform you listen to. Um, if you do yes. want to write us a review, that's always amazing. A few of you yeah. have and like, thank you. <laughs> right. It's so much fun. And again, like the thrill it gives us is <laughs> immense. Like we're just like, oh, somebody did this. So um, thank you so much. I mean, it's been amazing to see yeah. it yeah. grow as much as it has. Right. We deeply love every single one of truly. you. Thank you so, so much. Um, and truly, truly. truly truly but i love you so much casey and i love you Have a good night. hey thank you so much for listening to that episode of the pod crashed we hope you enjoyed it uh, if you noticed any corrections or if you have a story you want to tell or you just want to say hi you can find us on tiktok and instagram you can also email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. Uh, you might have noticed that I put my pop filter down at some point during this conversation today. I'm so sorry. I will try not to do that again. Uh, thank you for being patient and gracious with us as we figure this out. Uh, again, we are going to go to every other week for these main stories. I promise we're not going anywhere, and we do still want to uh, touch base one way or the other on the off weeks. We hope you'll stick around. If you do enjoy listening to these stories, tell your friends. We'd like to hear from them, too. Thanks for listening. <laughs>